Good morning, Victory Church. Try it again. How you doing? My name is Troy, and my wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor the best church in Rutherford County, Victory Church. And so we're so excited. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. Thank you for being here. I hope you guys leave here today going, man, we found our home. It's a good place to be excited about what God's doing. And I want to take just a second to announce Growth Track 101 starts today. And so listen, if you've been coming for a while or you're just visiting for the first time, maybe you're getting back into the swing of things now that summer's over and Labor Day's over, Growth Track is the opportunity for you to come learn a little bit more about what we're doing, the vision behind it, the purpose behind it. We believe that you're here on purpose because you have a purpose And so, therefore, we want you to be able to get involved, find a place to connect, find a place to serve. There'll be, uh, it's three weeks long, takes about 30 minutes after church, and watch this. We will watch your kids for you while you go. So, look, you can use it as an excuse to have a little date. You know what I mean? You just go in the growth track and bring your little food, have a little date. Amen? No? All right. So do me a favor. If you haven't been a part of that, go jump into that today, right after church, 30, 35 minutes. Learn more 101 about what's happening here at Victory. Amen? You ready for the word? If you got your Bible, open up to the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And so as Pastor Brian said, um, we are actually in week three of a series called The Greatest Show, and uh, he's trying to be more and more like me. You see, he had the jean jacket on, right? And so you give a man a title, all of a sudden he tries to look like the pastor. And so I don't know, I had to be able to correct him a little bit. Um, That's why he put the roses on the shoulders. I wasn't cool enough to have roses. Um, But we're in a series called The Greatest Show where we have been looking even more, and, and how would I say this? We've been focusing even more on the irresistible Jesus, okay? If you follow Christ throughout the New Testament, you learn pretty quickly that he was irresistible. People who were nothing like him liked him, and he liked people who were nothing like him. And everywhere he went, people would stop what they were doing to follow him. He was irresistible. And the more we studied him, here was the kind of the thought we've seen, is that although Jesus is irresistible, it seems like today his church is kind of resistible. So how does that line up? If Christ was so irresistible and the organization or the building or whatever you want to give it that is the representation of his spirit and his message is resistible, where's the miss? And we said, what if we've become so infatuated with the show that we've missed the message? What if we've become so so infatuated with the show that we have just missed the message of Jesus? What if Jesus was trying to teach us the message that the church needs to relearn, which is this, that the church will be most effective when the message of grace is most evident? So that when this series began, we talked about the message of Jesus and how it's the message of grace And we talked about how he loved the unlovable and how he ate dinner with the tax collectors and the sinners. And then last week, we talked about the methods of grace and how Jesus showed it through the way he touched the untouchable. So he's loved the unlovable. He's touched the untouchable when it came to the lepers. And this week, I want to talk to you about the pace of grace. The pace of grace. Pace is defined as movement at a consistent speed, right? Movement at a consistent speed. I believe, listen to me, that grace is consistent. I believe it's consistent across the board. I don't believe that the attributes of grace change due to fairness. I, think, I don't think there's, well, you did this and I did this, so you get a different kind of grace. I don't think grace is subject to our situation. I think you just have grace. Here it is. It's grace. 
And for a lot of us, it kind of rubs us the wrong way. So much that the church today doesn't really know what to do with grace. They don't really know how to contextualize it because they don't quite understand it. Because there are moments where grace makes sense and then there's moments where it doesn't. But I believe it's consistent. And there's this moment in Luke 15 where Jesus tells a story. This is not a true story. This is a parable. He gives an illustration. If you come to Victory, you know I like to use illustrations a lot. And it's the way Jesus liked to teach. And he laid it out so perfectly. And everybody understood exactly what he was saying because he spoke of Jewish customs to a group of Jewish people. And so this morning, I want to break some Jewish customs down and help you understand more and more what Jesus was saying because he gave the best explanation of grace without ever saying the word grace. Luke chapter 15, we'll start at verse 11. It goes like this. It's a a little bit of scripture, so go with me, hang with me, and then we're going to break it down. Jesus continued, so he continued to speak. He said, there was a man who had two sons. So you got a father and you got two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me the share of my estate. So back then in that culture, if you were, if I was a father and I had two sons, my estate would be divided this way. My oldest, my firstborn, would get two-thirds of my estate, and my youngest would get one-third. Okay, so that's what he means when he says, give me my share, give me my one-third of your estate. So the father divided his property between them, gave two-thirds to the older, one-third him. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, so he took his one-third And he went off to Vegas, right? He set off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living, all right? He hit blackjack, he hit it all, and lost it all. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he takes his estate, he leaves, squanders it, now he's in need. So he goes and hires himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, You ever seen pigs eat before? It's pretty disgusting. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him. You got to be pretty hungry to want to eat pig food, right? Just kind of makes sense. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. My, My father's hired hands, they've got food. They got leftovers, right? They got refrigerators filled with leftovers, and I'm here starving to death. So I'll set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, now he begins to speak, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So Jesus is in front of both religious people and non-religious people. He's in front of both believers and non-believers, and he needs to give a story that will illustrate the message of grace. Not only that, but would lay out the pace of grace, the consistency of grace. And so he gives the story. And I believe because they were from Jewish customs, they understood everything he was saying. And from that, I want to show you four things I see that are consistent about grace if we will allow it to be in our lives. And I want to call it the pace of grace. 
Number one is this. Grace pauses promise. Okay? It pauses promise. So walk with me. The younger son comes into the house. He looks at the father in his eyes, and he says, I would like my share of the estate now, early. Jewish customs say that for him to do that would have been equivalent to him walking into his house, looking his father in the eye, and saying, I wish you were dead. So we already see grace in works because his father didn't kill him, right? Have you ever had those moments where your kids say something to you and you're like, you better be glad for grace because I would bust all your teeth out, right? Y'all don't hit your kids? No? Okay. Um, all right. So you know, it's just one of those moments where it's like, I just, you got to. So the very fact that he didn't kill him right there on the spot was grace. So he says that, and, and, and yet the father says, all right, well, you know, here's the process, and, and he gives him grace. One time, <laughs> I have an eight-year-old daughter and a, and a three-year-old, and Veda's the eight-year-old, and we were in an argument about something, who knows, drama queen, and it's the same old, same old. And we're in an argument, and at the time we lived in an apartment complex, and she's kind of starting to get a little bit passionate, right, a little bit angry, and I knew it was coming. She was going to say something that she was going to regret for the rest of her life. And so out of nowhere, here's what she says. She goes, you know what? I just wish I had a new set of parents. Once again, I had that grace of the father, right? So I'd take this belt. And, and so I went through three emotions. My first emotion was just like complete, like, anger, right? Like, ah! And then you kind of go through that, and then you get into, like, almost pain. Like, that hurt. But you know she's angry and she's saying, she's, you know, stuff she didn't really mean. And so then I went into that third emotion that you've all been in where it's almost like sarcasm, right? Like, I'll show you. And so I went over to the front door of the apartment complex and I opened the door and I said, let's go. And you can see her whole countenance change, right? She's like, what? where are we going? I said, we're going to go find you some new parents. Huh? I said, look, we'll go knock on every door in the apartment complex. And the first couple that opens up and says they'll take you, boom, you found new parents. Right? Just made sense to me. And she's like, ugh, and goes to her room and slams the door. Right? And look, here's the deal. I was bluffing. I'm way too lazy to go to all those doors and knock on it. Right? I'd have just said, you go knock on them. I'm bluffing. But I knew there was a moment. I knew she was angry, and I knew she was exaggerating, and I knew there was a moment where she was going to come to her senses. Right? This is what happens with this younger son. Verse 17 clearly says, he comes to his senses. And then look what it says. He starts to say to himself, how many of my father's hired servants, how many of my father's hired servants, they have food to spare, and I'm here starving. Watch this. He, he realizes I've made a mistake. This, I shouldn't have done this. I, you know, I, I took my money, and that was bad, and I told my dad I wish he'd die, and then I went and squandered it. Now I'm broke, and I'm eating pig's food. I can't even get pig's food. This was a mistake. And watch this. He starts to fantasize about the promises of his father. Man, I bet you back home, the hired servants got food. They got chicken wings, right? You know, they, they got gumbo, and they're, it's in the fridge. You know, the green beans are in the fridge, and I'm, I'm starving. He's fantasizing about his father's promise. But did you catch this? He didn't fantasize about the promises for a son. He fantasized about the promises for a hired hand. How come he didn't say, man, my brother, my brother's at home. Do, 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 do. My brother has this. My brother has that. Why begin to fantasize about what a hired hand gets to have? Because he believed in his heart that once he received his payment, he forfeited his promise. 
Let me explain how this works in our life. Oh, I messed up. God's blessing is no longer allowed for me. I made a mistake, so God no longer wants anything to do with me. The promises of God and the favor of God and the blessings of God, they're now gone because I made a mistake, right? Here's the best thing about grace. Well, the first thing, grace begins with a pause. Let me explain. How many of you remember when TV came out that you could pause? Y'all remember this? When this first happened, some, some of you are like, that, that was not a thing? No, it used to not be a thing. So color television didn't used to be a thing either, okay? And so you literally, there was moments where you would have to watch a football game or watch a movie or watch a soap opera or whatever it is y'all watch, right? And you were right in the middle of it, and it was great, and all of a sudden you had to use the bathroom. And you didn't have a choice. You could do one of two things. You could run really quick to the bathroom and get back, but what if you missed something, What if you missed a touchdown or what if you missed an interception? What if you missed a twist or turn in the soap opera, right? So you would sit there and just kind of, you know, you do the whole pee dance thing, you know what I mean? Just kind of waiting for the process to end for a commercial, whatever. So you go make a sandwich, make a drink. And then God invented pause television. And you could be watching something. I mean, he he just took him a minute, but he got it. And so so you could be watching something and you you could, boop, pause it. And, like, the quarterback would be like, hut, go get your sandwich. I'll be right here. You know, like, he's just waiting. And so you could go do whatever you needed to do, whatever you wanted to do. And you could come back, and you could hit play, and it was right where you left it. Wow. Can I tell you something about grace? Grace allows you to mess up and then come back. And receive God's promises for your life right where you left off. That doesn't sound fair. Grace is not fair. Grace begins with a pause. And where Satan tried to press stop, grace pressed pause. And where sin tries to disqualify, grace requalifies. Let me show you. This is what the son says when he comes home. Son says, and Father, I've sinned against you. Against heaven and you, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I understand that because of what I did, I no longer get the promises of being your son. I understand that. I'm not here to argue it. I'm not here to debate it. I'm here to let you know I get it. I understand those promises are gone. I messed up. I made a mistake. I got off the road. And now because of that, my punishment is I'm no longer a son. But what about your hired servants? And the father says, look what he says. Father told his servants, quick, get a rubbing ring and rebox for the son of mine. The son of mine is dead, was dead, and is alive again. I know I'm not worthy of being your son. Quick, shut your mouth. Get my son something. What happened here? What happened was the father was telling his son, you were never worthy enough to be my son. Because your connection with me is not done by worthiness. Right? There was never a moment where you earned the title by which you are son or daughter of God. You were never worthy enough. The Bible says that in your best day. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and I said, in your best day, when you woke up with your best haircut, right? Y'all know, y'all know those days where your hair just looks fly. You know what I'm talking about? 
Like, it's, just, it's like one day a week, you know? For me, I get a haircut, it's that day, and then it's downhill from there. You know what I mean? So you had that one day where you get the outfit, you didn't eat that morning, so your stomach looking a little, little you know, you got your, got your outfit on, and then, of course, Pastor Brian wears the same outfit. Ugh! And so you have your outfit, and you got the haircut, and, and if you just feel good, like, you know, you woke up to one of them, you know, it's just a good day, you know what I mean? The sun is shining, I'm positive, you know what I mean? Like, it was just a good day. you all excited. It's a great day. At your best day. On your best day, you're filthy rags. You are never worthy of God. That's why he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you could hit pause and play on his promise. Where the devil tried to stop it, grace just paused it. Wow, what a revelation. This is the consistency of grace. Grace is, you messed up, that stinks. Repent, keep going, because the promise of God for your life is still in operation. Because where he tries to hit stop, grace says, mean mugs him and hits pause. And where sin tries to disqualify you, grace requalifies you. It just pauses the promise. I spent my entire life thinking that because I messed up, I was going to miss out on something God had for me. Do you know how hard that is to operate when you know I'm a human, I mess up every day? And so every day, every mess up, I thought I'm getting less and less of God. It doesn't work that way. Grace says, boop, go do what you got to do. Go act a fool. Go squander your money. (laughs) Open the door. Go find you some new parents. Because you're going to go. And you're going to come to your senses, and you're going to realize you need God, and you're going to return and repent. And when you return, the grace of God and the love of God gets that remote and goes, boop, you ready? Let's get back to this. The promise over your life. Pause this promise. Next, it announces affection. It announces affection. So the son decides, I'm going to go back to the father, right? I'm going to go back. But look, he was still filled with shame. Y'all had these moments, right, where you did something really stupid and you feel sorry for it and you ask forgiveness and the people you ask forgiveness, they say, no, don't worry about it. But you still have shame. You're shamed by what you did, right? It's just, it's, it's shameful. I can't believe I did that. And then to make it worse, this young man has a very long walk back to his father. There were no planes, trains, or automobiles, okay? So there was no quick way to him. There was no iPod that he could listen to while he's walking and just play all the Drake songs, you know, until he got there. You know, Daddy, do you love me? You know, it's just he couldn't do all that, right? So he had this lonely, quiet walk for miles. Can you imagine this? Miles. And the only person he could talk to was himself. We are the worst people we could talk to. So he's just talking to himself. Man, I can't, you're such an idiot. What, what were you even thinking? Come on, all on red? You should have put it on black. What are you thinking? You know, y'all don't get that. That's a gambling joke. And so he just keep on going. He's just walking, and he's filled with shame, filled with shame. And the Bible says that the father sees him while he is a way off. Let me give you another sermon title. Grace looks for you. Grace looks for you. It's not grace on a throne waiting until you get home to be able to pat you. Grace is out. How many of y'all got puppies? Anybody here got a dog? Anybody got a dog? You know what it's like when you pull up and you've been gone all day and that dog's like in the window like, that's grace. Grace tails just wagging, waiting for you to get back. So grace is looking for the son. And it says he had come 
compassion on him. So the father, and if you're a parent, you know this, the father sees his son and knows my son is shamed. He doesn't want it. And the Bible says that he ran to him because grace will chase you down. You've been here last week, you would know that. Grace will chase you down. So he takes off running to him. And I thought, man, that's so cool. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've told you before. That was almost the verse that pretty much started my salvation. Because I'd always seen God as this, like, school teacher who was ready to slap your hand. And I'm reading in the Bible that he's running to me. He's running to me. But then I started studying it this week because I'm like, remember, this is all Jewish custom. And this meant more to the people listening than we read when we read it. So what does that mean? Watch this. Did you know that men in that day didn't run? They didn't run. There was no YMCA with a bunch of men on the step machine or the treadmill getting their run on. Men didn't run, and here's why. The cute little pants that are spandex that stop right here at your muscle, they didn't have those back then. All they had were tunics, which were basically a man's dress, okay? So if a man decided to run, there was a good chance he was going to trip. You imagine him being like, son, right? And finally, that just kills the moment. You don't see that in the Bible. Like he began to run, and then he tripped on his tunic, and he had a face full of dirt. And oh my God, yeah, you don't read stuff like that. So listen to this. In order for him to run and not trip, he would have had to lift up his tunic and run like this. Like this is really like I know we see this picture of like he ran to me, he took me in his own. And the real Bible is like he ran to me, and you know. But here's the catch. It was shameful for men to show their bare legs in Jewish custom. It was shameful. So for him to pull up his tunic and run to his son, he was now bringing the shame upon himself. So he sees that his son is filled with shame, and he says, I tell you what, I'm not going to sit here and wait for you. I'm not going to let you walk through all that shame to get to me. I'm going to bring the shame upon myself, and I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to take the shame off of you. And I'm going to announce affection in front of everybody. He runs up and begins to kiss him, and the son's trying to talk. He can't even talk. He's showing everybody. He's announcing affection by taking the shame off his son and putting it on him. That made Hebrews 12 too make so much sense to me. Maybe you've read this and it never quite made sense. It's about to make sense now. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. They say the cross was the most shameful way you could die back then. So Jesus got up on a cross, and he brought the shame on him so that you didn't have to carry it anymore. So every time that you've ever felt shame because you made a mistake, he runs to you, and he brings that shame upon himself so he can set you free from it. And that, my friends, is grace. So it pauses the promise. You can get right back in to the promise God has over your life. It announces affection. Give me that shame. This is my son. Me and, me and Casey Ray, I like to play this game with her. She thinks it's a game. I'm just trying to get kisses. And, and, and I'll hold her, and I'll start trying to kiss her, and she treats it like I'm attacking her. You know, She's like, ah, no kisses, no kisses. And finally, I'll talk to this, and here's what she'll say. She'll say, okay, Dad, one kiss today. One kiss. I'm just imagining this father. I'm just so glad. So glad he's back. 
man, did you show your legs? I don't care. Look at my legs. I should have shaved. Look at them. It's a hot mess. Put the shame on me. My son is home. All I care about is that he doesn't feel shame. I'm not concerned with shame. Wow. That's your father. That's God. He's not sitting here ready to punish you. He's trying to take off your shame. Number three, it celebrates confession. Grace celebrates confession. Have you ever noticed when we do something stupid, we come up with lies to cover it? And some of, some of it's part true, right? It's like 63% true. And we add stuff <laughs> to make us look better. Yeah, and my kids are the worst at it. Like, they'll come up with lies, and I'm like, that, you, that doesn't even make sense. Give me an example. Um, Veda wanted to play with the scooter the other day, or whatever it is, and, and Casey wanted it. And she goes, Dad, Casey gets it every day of the week. I said, baby, it's not true. Let me walk you through your sister's day. She wakes up. She eats breakfast. We take her to the gym. She comes home. She plays with her toys. We watch her. She runs errands with us or whatever. She goes to bed. By the time she wakes up, you're home. That's her day. She's not like, all day while you're at school, right? She goes, well, well, if she had it 10 times, I've only had it five. I said, Veda, how long have we lived in this townhouse? What? How long have we lived in this townhouse? Oh, because that's what she said. The whole time we've been at this townhouse, if I've had, if she's had it 10 times, I've had it five. I said, how long have we lived in this townhouse? She goes, I, I don't know. I said, how is it possible that you don't know how long we've lived here, but you know how many times you've ridden a scooter? That don't make any sense. Right? She's just coming up with a lie. It doesn't make sense. It's like we lie, watch this, to try to soften the payback. Like I'm going to come up with something that almost makes it look like it was okay that I did this so that you'll punish me less. Right? And so this son, he begins with this apology letter. He's like, dear dad, um, when I was in the pig pen, I thought to myself, oh, were the days that you and I would throw the football and you would let me win, and you would host me. No, that doesn't make any sense. Dear Dad, there's never been one like you. I like Mom, but I love you. You've all, No, that doesn't. Mom will be mad. Okay. Dear Dad, I'll do an acrostic. Dad, deliver. A, awesome. D, Dad. You know what I mean? And so, so here's what he does. He, he, finally, he finally gets ready, and he pins it. Here's what he says. He says, Father, Father, <laughs> I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he begins to write this letter. And he gets it, he's ready, and he takes off to the father. Because he's still convinced that his father takes his behavior into consideration. We're still convinced that our father takes our behavior into consideration. So here he comes, and his dad runs, and his dad meets him. And here's probably my favorite part in the story. It says, the son said to him. So now this is verse 21 22. He begins his speech, right? Hold on, dad. Stop kissing me. Stop kissing me. Let me get to Father, I have sinned against you in heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupts him. He said, but the father says, quick, 
get the robe, get the rings, get the Reeboks. You know what I mean? Get him over here. Like, he interrupts him because he celebrates confession. Listen, he celebrates confession. He's glad you told the truth, but he's not concerned with payback. He's just happy you came back. And so he doesn't even allow us to finish with our excuse. He just interrupts us and embraces us. I, I got a real example of this about, I want to say it's about a year ago. Um, my in-laws, who are in town, by the way, uh, we and, and my wife and my family, we go and see my dad in Panama City, Florida every year, fall break, and we just have an incredible time. Uh, we just, it's just such a great time. We do all these kind of traditional things. My dad really wanted to start a tradition in our family, and so it's kind of become that. And one of the traditions that we do a lot is we go one night to Dave & Buster's. Y'all familiar with Dave & Buster's? Right? It's just like we just had, I think, Stars, Stripes, and America or something open up over here in Smyrna. Not sure. Bad promotional. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Um, and so Dave & Buster's is like this ridiculously big arcade slash restaurant. Slash, I mean, it's insane. And it's on the beach in Florida, so it's huge, and it's crowded, and it's crazy. And my in-laws, they always spoil us, and they'll get everybody, like, game cards with a crazy amount of money. And, like, you see adults turn to kids really quick. You know what I mean? I'm like, Veda, get out the way. You know what I mean? I'm just going to play games all day. And so... I think this particular year, if I'm correct, Casey was still, like, young enough that she was in, a, in like, a stroller. And so the way we would kind of play it is, like, one person would kind of be with Veda, and the other three would go play or whatever, and we kind of rotate, right, and switch. And so, like, if Veda's playing a game, I might play it with her, and Darla might go do Mario Kart or something or Walking Dead, you know. And so, and then, and then we would, like, switch. And this was just kind of the process. And we were doing this for hours. And at one point, we all came back together, and there was no Veda, and then we became the whole, you, no, I, you, you didn't have, no, you didn't have, uh, hmm, bad parenting, right? And so if you've ever lost a child, you know that you begin with a lot of faith. Like, they're probably where I left them, right? I mean, it's just kind of how it works. It's my car keys should be my child. And so there's a lot of faith until you go to the place where you last saw them, and they're not there. And the more you look... And the third and fourth time you make the trip around Dave and Buster's, and the seven times you go in and out of the girls, I didn't go in and out of the girls' restroom, but they did. Another controversial we're trying to stop. And, and so you, you do all this, the more your faith starts to shift to fear, right? And now I'm scared. And now I'm worried. And I'm going, going around Dave and Buster's, and it's completely crowded, and we're in a city that we don't live in. And there's people everywhere, and now I'm beginning to pray. God, I just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm praying under my breath. And then I move from under breath to out loud. So I'm out loud praying. Like, people think I'm weird. You know, I'm just walking past them, just, you know, just trying to whatever I can do to find my daughter. And I'm panicking, and I'm scared. And Darla's scared, and Tina's scared, and Charlie's scared. And we're all like, where, where's Veda? Case Ray's like, hmm. You know, she doesn't know. She just knows she gets more Christmas presents now if Veda didn't show up. And so we're panicking. We're running around, and I'm freaking out. And I, and I remember I went around this machine, and I turned around, and there she was, just standing there. And when I, when I got to her, she started to kind of explain to me what happened, right? Because my first reaction is, where were you? And I didn't mean that mean towards her, but I was so in, like, covered with fear. That it was just, where were you? And she begins her explanation. Well, Dad, what happened? And about midway through it, I realized, I don't even care, right? I don't even care. So I interrupted her and just grabbed her. And I just said, you know what? I'm just glad I found you. I don't care what the reasoning is. I'm just glad I found you. Because for a moment, I wasn't sure that I would ever find you. I wasn't sure if you were going to always be lost. And so I wanted to find you. And so in a moment where God comes back in contact with lost children, he's not concerned about excuses. He's more happy that you just came back. He's more happy that he found you. Yes, he celebrates confession. Tell the truth. 
But quit worrying that it's going to be some type of punishment because he doesn't care. He's just happy you came home. (laughs) He just wants you to be home. Just happy he found you. And then I had another revelation recently about that same story that I wanted to share with you. It really has nothing to do with the sermon, but I hope you'll take it as a nugget. During that whole time, you know who I was never worried about? Casey Ray. Didn't mean I didn't love her, right? But she was found. She was safe. I knew she was okay. And so even though she was okay, I was worried and obsessed with my lost child. God is obsessed with his lost children. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love me. But we're found. And he's obsessed with his lost children. I've heard people say before about their church, my church only cares about the people who don't go there. They're always talking about the lost. And they're the only organization I know that cares more about the people who aren't there. That's because they understand the heart of God. And they understand that he's obsessed with lost people. And that God's obsessed, listen, with your lost family members and your lost friends and your lost neighbor and your lost coworker, the person that works out beside you who's lost, the person who works beside you who's lost, the person who gave you your ice cream who's lost. God is obsessed with them. And it's not that he loves you any less. He loves you just as much. But you're home. You're home. And he wants us to be just as passionate about those who are lost. Understand? So the consistency of grace is it pauses your promise, then it it announces approval, announces affection, and then it celebrates confession, and then watch this. It exceeds expectation. It exceeds expectation. This was the revelation that really kind of did me in this week because I've read this story a thousand times, and there are things I'm teaching you today dealing with Jewish customs that I didn't know. And so it made this story a lot more real and a lot more effective in my life. So in Jewish customs, if your son, if you lived in that area and you went outside of your region or your town and and you hung out with Gentiles and you squandered your inheritance and then you returned without it, this is why, honestly, when people read the story, they go, man, he was just trying to eat. No, the reason why he got a job is he was trying to regain his inheritance so he could go home. Because if you returned without your inheritance, listen to this, they would throw a ceremony for you called the kazaza. It's a ceremony. You'd be in your, in your area, in the town, and they would put you in a chair, and they would bring everybody out. The only two people, well, one person that was not allowed to come was your father. Wasn't allowed to come. That was a way of your father saying, I shun you. Your mother was allowed to come, but only if she was going to plead for grace for you. It's the only reason she could come. And they would put you in a chair, and the whole town would surround you, and they would bring out a pot of burnt beans, Apparently, they had a bunch of women there who couldn't cook, right? So they'd bring out pot beans, and they'd set it at your feet, and they'd break the pot, and then they would scream this, you have been rejected by your community. Break the pot, boom. Now watch this. This was their custom. So this is what this younger son expected. So now rewind. Squanders the money, and he begins to know what's expecting, the kazaza. I got to get a job. I got to make my inheritance back. But then he's not making enough money. I got to go home. But I know what's waiting on me, the kazaza. I still got to go home because I'll die if I don't. Long way off, shame walk. Remember the shame walk? Kazaza. This is what he's expecting, y'all. 
He's expecting that. He still chose to come home, but he's expecting to be shunned by his entire community. He's expected to be, you imagine if I brought one of y'all up right now and put you and put some burnt beans at your feet and was like, Victory Church rejects you. Like, you'd be like, bruh, well, you know, you uppercut me and then leave. Like, you know, what is that? Like, you imagine expecting that? If I told you, oh, look, look, like, bro, when you come to church today, we're going to throw a kazaza, bro. Like, Darla's already burning the beans, you know what I mean? Like, you you in trouble, man. Like, he's not coming to church today, you know what I mean? He's like, I'll go somewhere else. And so he comes home expecting this, expecting it. I'm going to be shunned by my community. They're going to break some nasty beans at my feet. And my dad is not even going to come to acknowledge me. That was his expectation. And where he expected burnt beans, he got a barbecue. Because that is grace. Grace is you expecting burnt beans and getting a barbecue. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again, for he was lost and now he's found. The more I studied this, I thought, you know what? Follow with me for a minute. Remember when I told you the father ran? What do you think? Just go with me for a moment. I tend to share with you what I think the Bible says and see if you agree. When he saw him a long way off, he had to come through the town. I always pictured him walking through like a field, right? With just like lilies and, you know, he's just, I'm coming, Father. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I always pictured it. But when I studied it, like, he had to come through the town. So he wasn't by himself. You know, you got people, yeah, you ever seen the beginning of Beauty and Beast? It's like, hello, hello, good day. You know what I mean? All these people, like, everybody's around him making bread, selling books. You know what I mean? Like, everybody, he's had to walk past all of them. And so the father sees him, has compassion over him, and says, they're going to, if they see him, they're going to throw a kazaza. So I better run and get to him first. And I better announce affection in public and I better celebrate his confession and I better announce, get a robe, get a ring, get some Reeboks, get some food, go grab Chick-fil-A, come on, and let's have this party and celebrate my son being lost and now found before they shun him and reject him out of the community. How you feel right now is how every Pharisee felt when Jesus told this story, because that's what they understood when Christ spoke. And they went, what? That's not fair. He he deserved worse. Jesus said, oh, you missed it. I came for grace. I came to be happy that you're found, that you were once lost, but now found. Because that's my amazing grace. Jesus said, you don't understand this yet. But soon I'm going to go up on a cross. And I'm going to take everything you deserve. And I'm going to take everything that's fair. And I'm going to put it upon myself. And I'm going to take beatings. And I'm going to take a whooping. And I'm going to bleed. 
they're going to put thorns on my head, and they're going to stab me in the side, and they're going to put nails in my feet and in my hands, and I'm not going to deserve it, nor is it going to be fair. But I'm doing this so that we can have grace. So that you can hit play on the promise of God for your life. So that you can hear him speak approval over you. Despite how horrible of a person you think you are. So that you can quit telling lies and cover-ups and celebrate the fact that you're just found. And so that every expectation you've ever had of God can be exceeded. Those things that he put on him, they had symbols. Symbolizations. So the robe meant restored position. He had play on that promise. You're my son again. That ring, it meant assured affection. Right? You're approved. I take the shame. I show you my love amongst everybody. The sandals, the Reeboks I've been talking about, they, they confirmed forgiveness. Listen to this. With him standing there, he would have had no shoes on. Watch this. That would have been a reminder to the father of what he did. Daddy said, you better put him some shoes on. You better get some LeBrons or some Nikes, some Air, icy white Air Force Ones or something. Put something on his feet because his father forgave him. And then my favorite part is this, the barbecue to get, listen, I don't know if you understand this. They were fattening a calf. Those of you that you, 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 you do any kind of farming, you understand what that means. They were getting him fat for a good old party. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know what I'm talking about? When you, like, you, you, you set hours making some ribs, you're getting ready for a party or whatever it is that you had that you're saving for like a special occasion. He was saving that for a special occasion. And so what should have been a ceremony of shame is now a special occasion. Get the calf, cook it, let's celebrate. Why? Because your son went and made more money? No. Why? Because your son went and walked in holiness? No. Why? Because your son came back and he's glory. No. Because my son is simply home. Because he was once lost and he's now found. Did he do something? No, he didn't do anything. He didn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. He's not worthy of it. He's just by grace found. And because of the Christ's sacrifice, he's made new and his promise is given and his position is restored. And Jesus says, listen to me, that is grace. And it's the pace of grace. It's consistent. Well, this is your fifth time. It's consistent. Come on. They say that all the time. It's consistent. It's just the pace. Jesus didn't die to make good people better or to make bad people good. He died to bring dead people to life. And so it's constantly consistent. Because who knows when you might find yourself in a grave. But Jesus said, I died and I resurrected so that you could be resurrected. Because the resurrected king is now resurrecting me. Wait a minute. You've already used my resurrecting power once. You can't use it. It doesn't work that way. Grace says it's made available to the day you die. Receive the grace of Jesus and then walk in it. And once you receive it and once you walk in it, then you begin to understand it. And then I believe it begins to have an effect on how you operate daily. Amen. Lord, we thank you 
for who you are, for your word that is still alive today. And Lord, when we can receive it the way you meant to speak it, our eyes begin to be opened in who you are and what grace means. And I pray right now for every person in this room because I believe every one of us find ourselves in one of four categories. We either A, believe that the promise of God has been removed from our life because of our sins and our mess ups and you told us this morning it's just been hit pause and it's waiting on us to be restored. I think some of us, we're in here and God, we're full of so much shame because of what we've done, because of what our past looked like. And God, you brought us here this morning to tell us, I took that shame upon me so that you would no longer have to walk in it. Quit picking it up. For some of us, we've been coming up with lies and excuses trying to cover up the fact that we're human, the fact that we struggle with sin. And you're interrupting our confession this morning and saying, I don't care about payback, I'm just glad you came back. And then, Lord, for those of us that we've come up with our own expectation of what it would be like to return to you, our own expectation of what it's going to be like to be a Christian, and when we have a hard time just not yelling at people on the interstate. But God, grace exceeds those expectations. And instead of burnt beans, we get a barbecue. I want to ask you this morning to keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. You're in here and you would say, Troy, I've never quite heard the gospel like that. And I've never actually committed my life to Jesus. This would be your opportunity to accept the grace that I'm preaching about. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Christ is your Savior. We can do that this morning. Then you can begin this walk out with us. We'd love to be the family that you do it with. But regardless of that, I just want to make sure that you go home because your father is looking and waiting for you to come home. Not to punish you, not to tell you he told you so, but to give you your robe and ring and rebox. To kill that calf and to celebrate your return. So if you say, Troy, I've never, I've never committed my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand just real quick? Just let me see it. Praise God. Thank you. I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to move into a prayer for all of us. And then we're going to take just a moment in worship. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you gave to me. I can only speak for me. And I'm so thankful that no matter how many times I get it wrong, I can repent and come home to you and I can walk back in that promise and position. I pray for those that are committing their life to you today, that they would believe in their heart and they would confess with their mouth that you, Jesus, are Lord. And Lord, they'd begin to read their Bible and follow you, that you'd begin to speak to them. And Lord, they'd find a family, whether it's here or somewhere else, be able to walk with them in their faith. And Lord, for us as a church, you've been teaching us about grace. I pray that we'd be able to walk in it, show it, reveal it to people. I pray that you would give us a burden for the loss like you have. And that this week when we see our family and our friends and our coworkers, 
and they may not know you, that you would give us a hunger and an obsession to see them found and to be able to be in your presence. Right now, just affirm everybody in this room, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, in your love, in the position you've restored, in the promise you have, and the very fact that you, God, a resurrected king, you're resurrecting me. It wasn't just for show, and it wasn't just to fulfill prophecy, but it was to bring life to the dead. And so, God, thank you. Thank you for the life that I receive because of the grace of Jesus Christ.